as you stand and you open the Word of God to the book of Luke. While you're doing that, uh, we need to pray that Bishop continues to uh, be strengthened and healed. He had a knee replacement surgery, so this is the second knee, and he's doing well thus far. And so while he is not here, there's an armor bearer sitting in his chair. And so if you're wondering why Brother Casey was sitting in Brother Frost's chair, it's because I told him to. And then he felt so uncomfortable doing that. Brother Kaufman is taking up the space here tonight, and we'll keep rotating that way. You don't have to feel awkward, all right? <laughs> okay. Praise God. Amen. So we want to pray that he continues to recover. Bishop, recover so that you can be back in the house of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody that would agree with that, why don't you clap your hands together? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Good to see everybody, 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 everybody happy. All of you moms that are out there trying to do homeschool, cook, everything else, are you happy? And dads, okay, there's some dads doing it as well. All right, amen, praise God. We need to, we need to pray that there is a breakthrough, a breakthrough that we can break through and some folks are saying, we will never get back to normal. Well, I don't know what that means, but I, I can say this. I can say this. The church is going to be stronger, going to have revival. Amen. There's going to be revival. It's going to be unity. There's going to be a, a gathering. God's going to do great things. The Holy Ghost is going to be poured out of, upon all flesh. People are going to be baptized in Jesus' name. Altars are going to be full of people who are repenting of their sins. I believe that. You can't stop the church. Nothing can stop the church. Amen. So we want to be patient in the midst of where we are. Pray that God would continue to direct and guide us. Amen. Luke chapter number 6 and beginning in verse number 6, chapter 6, verse 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That verse, that last verse, is part of the story. It's not to be separated from 
that particular passage. In those days, he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I want to preach tonight for a few moments. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out. Amen. Stretch out your hand. I want you to do that. Stretch out your hand. There's very, very few here tonight that have stretched your left hand out. My wife's left hand. Okay, but the majority of you have stretched forth your right hand. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen. We stretch ourselves tonight in the house of God to respond to you and to reach out to you. We thank you for your blessing and goodness, and we ask that you would have your way tonight. We give to you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, there's some key points in this passage of Scripture. We will try to go through them. One of them is the fact that it starts by saying that on another Sabbath, the Sabbath, Jesus spent a lot of his time in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when he got there, there was always opposition there were always those that wanted to confront him. So when we read these passages of Scripture, this seems to be one of the places of confrontation between Jesus and those that were wanting to question him. In this passage of Scripture, they watched him. They were watching to find a fault. Why is the Sabbath important and significant? In the Old Testament law, the Sabbath was a day of rest. You did not work, and then uh, later we had uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious rulers trying to figure out what that actually meant on the Sabbath day, how many steps you could take. We found out when we went to Israel, there's a certain amount of steps that you could take. I think you could go from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it was within the ramifications of how many steps you could take, uh, what you could do, how, what kind of burden you could bear, how you could carry things from one place to the other place. And, and so this was so ingrained into their thinking and a part of their religion that they watched because Jesus would come to the synagogues on the Sabbath day and he would heal individuals of their afflictions. And this created the confrontation, the difficulties. What Jesus was trying to explain and illustrate to them is the fact that he came not to do away with the Sabbath, but to fulfill the Sabbath in its entirety. In other words, it's not the Sabbath day any longer that is important. It's the God that is is before you in the visions of Jesus Christ who has come to fulfill the Sabbath. So where before you looked at it as a day of rest, now every day can be a day of rest because if Jesus is with you, that's an opportunity to say, I can rest in this moment because he's with me and he fulfills that holy day. And so it's not one day, but it's every day because if Jesus is walking with me every day, there is a rest and there there is a peace and there is a comfort that is attached to who he is. So the Sabbath day was important. 
And Jesus took the Sabbath day as opportunity. There was a lot of skirmishes there. Uh, they would say to him many things. Our father is Moses, and Jesus would have a response to that. Our father is Abraham, and Jesus would have a response to that. He said, before Abraham was, I am. This was God manifest in the flesh. So on the Sabbath day, it was an opportunity to step into the religious world and environment and say there is something different that is happening that is breaking into the world it's not the same old same old anymore but God has manifested himself in the flesh and he is doing a new work I don't want to miss it when God is doing a new work I don't want to stand in the way and be an obstacle when Jesus Christ is wanting to move hey if revival is happening I want to be a part of revival. I don't want to be an obstacle. I want to be a conduit of God's ability so that his spirit can move and flow. Anybody feel that way tonight? I want revival to take place. And only it can only take place when Jesus is in the midst and he's there on the Sabbath day. He's declaring the fact that he is a God of Rest. So he comes on the Sabbath day. And the scripture tells us that the Pharisees watched him. Opposition. Opposition. John, the book of John, the gospel of John, refers to the opposition as, quote, unquote, the Jews. I like to say it this way. The Jews are used because that's the, that's the literary construct that John is putting there so that it's not something that becomes anti-Semitic, which it has been. Because they did say, let your blood be upon us and our children for what we're doing. That's, that's those Jews in that particular time frame and context. John uses the Jews to be a group of people that represent, and not just people, but a realm of unbelief. Anytime Jesus comes forth with faith, the Jews represent the realm of unbelief that want to shut it down, stop it, oppose it, stand in the way, cause problems and confrontation. That is what the realm of unbelief does. It always fights against the anointing and power of God that is wanting to move things in a direction of the kingdom of God. And so the Jews, or in this case, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, or the scribes, they represented a group in that first century that were in constant conflict with Jesus, but they also represent a realm of unbelief. When you preach a word or testify a word, there's always going to be Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jews or Jews that are going to try to throw up unbelief and doubt. This is why we are a people of faith. And our faith is such, it doesn't matter what comes our way. The Pharisees can be there. The Sadducees can be there. The realm of unbelief can be there, but we're going to take the same tactic as Jesus and Jesus confronted and he continued to move forward in faith. Don't stop what God is doing in your life because of unbelief. Let your faith increase. Let your hope that maketh not a shame arise because God's doing great things and he's in the midst and he's there on the Sabbath every single day and he's come to perform the miraculous unbelief is always there to step in the way and try to cause problems and it's a realm of unbelief and so there is opposition here 
much opposition. And this unbelief is beyond the actual Jesus. So Jesus is there on the Sabbath, and he's confronted with unbelief. But he still has a work to do. I want to tell you that the world is going to throw up every obstacle that they can. I want to tell you that the enemy of your soul is going to throw up every obstacle that it can. It will look at and it will tick off every box to try to tell you why you can't. I'm preaching to you here. Jesus is on the Sabbath, which is every day of Jesus is there. And Jesus has come to say it doesn't matter who's opposing what. Don't let all those things that the enemy wants to check off stop you from what God is wanting to do in your life. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. God's got a call on your life. You were created for this moment right now. God created you to be here. You're sitting on a pew tonight because God desired you to be in this moment and at this time don't let anything stop you from continuing to follow after the dictates in the hand of God keep pursuing keep pursuing it and the scripture tells us that there was a man there and it was a man in the synagogue whose right hand was withered Right hand, right hand, right hand. This is a theme in the scripture. Let me just take the context of God's right hand before we talk about man's right hand. God's right hand in the scripture is not a physical position. Stephen looked and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Someone sees it right there. That proves that there is two persons in the Christology of Jesus Christ. No, he sees Jesus in a position of power. Why? Why do you say that, Pastor? Because God is a spirit, and you cannot see a spirit unless it has flesh and bones. And so the right hand of God in the Scripture refers to God's supreme power and ability. I want to pray that the right hand of God steps in in the midst of where we are right now culturally and in our society and in the world. I pray that the authority and the power of God, the right hand of God, comes in and shows its miraculous power and ability. I want to pray for the right hand of God to come into situations and individuals lives and homes and be the authority that speaks in that home the right hand of power the right hand of sovereignty the right hand of the king of kings the one that is able to redeem and strengthen and remove every addiction the right hand of God somebody put forth your right hand like you really mean it that's that's exactly, Brother Chad Bradley, look at Brother Chad Bradley. Do that again. Show me. Show me the right hand of power. It's the right hand of God. It's God's ability. It's God's authority that says, I'm greater. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm more capable. I'm more able. I'm able to do above and beyond what you could even think or ask. I can create the worlds with the right hand of power. I can, I can speak things into existence that were not there, and I call them forth as they are. How do you do that? With the right hand of power. With his right hand of power, he's coming back. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's coming back for a people who are looking for him to return. 
with his right hand of power. So there's a theme in the scripture about the right hand of authority, power. Amen. It doesn't displace people who are left-handed, but sorry to tell you. <laughs> in the old town, how many left-handed folks do we have? Raise your hand all over this. If you got left. All right, there's a good amount here. But you are, percentage-wise, you are outnumbered. There's a whole lot more folks here that are right-handed. So it doesn't mean that, <laughs> that you should be thought of as insignificant because you're not. But in the Scripture, the right hand of power and authority has significance. And in those ancient times, even more so than today, for those of you that are sitting here today and you're left-handed, left -handed, it's okay because it's more accepted. But in ancient times... And in some cases, even in not too many days past, some of you that were left-handed, you were forced to do things with your right hand because that's just what you're supposed to do, writing and everything, things like this, eating. And, and so some of you, I know Brother Brian Gregg is ambidextrous. He can use both hands. <clears throat> and so this was, a, this was a, a type and a pattern in the Scripture, a theme in the pattern, and it connects in ancient times that the right hand is the hand that has the power or the strength or the authority in it. So that's God's right hand and God's power. This man, Luke is a physician. The other synoptic gospels don't point out that it was his right hand. They just said a man that had a withered hand. But Luke is a physician and he wants to make sure that people know that it was this man's right hand. Which is significant because he is wanting to say this was the man's Authority, power, ability, strength. He had lost capacity in that hand. And he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Tradition, which means extra biblical resources that you can read and you can't really put a whole lot of truth to them, but they're interesting to read. Tell us that this man was a mason. Not Mason Doty, but a mason. Someone that, someone that works with stone. His livelihood is connected to the power that is in his hand. This is why he would be in the synagogue, because he's coming because he knows Jesus is there. Man, if we could get the same motivation to be in the house, why? Because Jesus is there. I love you, and I'm glad to see all of you here, but when I come to church, the real reason I'm coming to church is because I know there's one in the house. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is, that is able. Hallelujah, to do great things. Amen. And then you're a byproduct and an added blessing. But if Jesus is not in the house, then something is seriously, seriously wrong. If God's not in the building, then we, 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 what are we doing here? We just become a, a social club. But when God's in the house, our focus is upon salvation. Our focus is upon the kingdom of God. Our focus is upon heaven touching down on earth. When Jesus is in the house. This man is there. There he is in the synagogue. His right hand, his livelihood. Scripture said his right hand. So instead of having authority and power and strength, he has something that is withered, which means it's atrophying. Now, I'm not a nurse. I'm not in medical uh, 
profession, but I've, I've read enough to know that if you have a situation, an injury like that, your brain eventually tells itself that nothing's happening there, and that's why it starts withering up because it's not being used. And so your motor functions that go from your cerebral cortex that then fires through all the synapses into your muscles that creates the ability to move and have motion has been lost because of an in injury. And so here he is with a withered hand. He has a withered right hand. And Jesus uses the man not as a prop because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's on the synagogue, on the Sabbath, and the opposition is there, and they're watching him. They are watching him. They want to know if he's going to do something that's going to contradict their law. And Jesus, Jesus knowing them, as a matter of fact, I believe the scripture says, it gives us a tell. He knew their thoughts. And he said to the man that had the withered hand, come on out here, brother, come out here, which was a difficult thing to do. All of a sudden now I am, I'm the center of attention and there's Jesus and there's the opposition. Jesus knows their thoughts and he says to them, I want to ask you something. What is, the, basically this is what he's saying. What is the Sabbath for? Is the Sabbath, what is it for? Is it to do good or to do evil? Is it to save life or destroy it? In other words, if the Sabbath is violated in your mind to do good, then that's a good thing because that's what the Sabbath was created for. But if the man is not healed on the Sabbath, then that would be an evil thing because the Sabbath was not created to do evil. The Sabbath was created to do good. And so when he confronts them with his question, they have nothing to say. And Jesus gives to us this statement. He says to the man that is there in the center, he says, stretch out your hand. Now, it doesn't say which hand. We can make the determination that he's stretching forth the right hand that is withered that Luke is talking about. And because this is his need. And, and it's withered. It's, it's not functioning. But before we get there, let me just insert something here for the sake of curiosity and say, when, when there's nothing that is stated about which hand to stretch forth, we as humanity are always wanting to put forth our best hand. Now, there's some other cultural things that are going on here. In ancient times, your right hand was for social. Your right hand, socially, you would you would greet each other. You would fist bump. Well, maybe not in ancient times. You would handshake. You would, there, there would be greetings that would take place with your right hand. You would eat with your right hand. Your occupation is attached to your right hand. So your right hand was something that was the authority or the strength. Your left hand was considered an unclean hand because that's the hand that you would use for sanitary means. Now you're laughing, but I've been to Ethiopia. When you, when you go into an Ethiopian bathroom, you have a toilet and you have a bucket of water. And there's no toilet paper unless the missionaries are so kind to tell you, bring it with you. And then it becomes a rich commodity. <clears throat> That's real interesting when we're talking about pandemics. <laughs> and it's very humbling because these people are so glad to see you. They want to greet you. You're praying with them. And it's quite an experience. It is quite an experience. 
the left hand is considered the unclean hand. And, and so now this man is in a, a great predicament because he has a withered hand that he cannot use. And so now every function that, that takes place in his life is with the hand that is unclean. Man, there is, there is, there is so much there. <laughs> and, and he's asked to stretch forth your hand. Our, our, our position, our default position is to stretch forth the best that we've got, right? When, when God says, stretch forth your hand, we want to give God the best that we've got. But God's not looking for the best you've got. God's looking for that which is withered. And so on the one hand, he's got a hand that is considered unclean, so do I stretch forth that hand? Or do I stretch forth the hand that has no function, no ability? And this parallels the gospel message. God is interested in you stretching forth that which is withered. Now, you, you have to, this man would not have received his miracle if he would not have stretched forth his hand. He was there. What are you here for? He was there because he recognized I've got a need in my life. What I've got is not the best. It is withered. It is atrophied. But I need God to help me and I need God to touch me. When people come to the house of God, they should come to the house of God with an attitude that says, I need God to help me. I know what I'm stretching forth is not the best, but I'm going to stretch it forth anyway because I know there is a God that can respond specifically to my need. You may say, well, pastor, you don't understand where I've come from. You're right. I probably don't. You say, you don't know the background that I was raised in. You are probably right. I don't. You could say, you know what? My parents and things that happened in my life are not the best things. It was full of dysfunction that no child, no daughter, no son should ever, ever have to go through. And all I feel like is I've got something that is withered and atrophied. I don't even feel normal, I feel out of place, and God is interested in you stretching forth that because God's a God that is able to respond to that. If you don't turn to God, who are you going to turn to? There's a lot of things that you could turn to to cope with it, but I'm telling you the best place that you could ever find and the best person you could ever meet is Jesus Christ that says to you, I know what you're stretching forth. I know it's withered. I know it's not much, but I can heal you. Praise God, there's unspeakable abuse, unspeakable and, and things that would horrify a common person to know what people go through at the hands of others and sometimes even themselves. And God asks us to stretch forth our hand. What are we going to put out there? We want to put out the best. We want to front. This is just a human nature. We want to front the facade of what is perfect, what is good, what is all in order. God's not looking for what you think is good. He's looking for your weakness. He's looking for your failure. He's looking for, he's looking for your difficulty. He's looking for that which has become 
withered. Hallelujah. Atrophy. There is nothing there, but God can speak life into it. And God can perform a miracle. This is the gospel message. This wasn't just a miracle. This is the gospel message. Jesus is still reaching for people. He's still calling people. Stretch out what you have. I know it's insignificant and you feel bad and you feel dirty and you feel unclean, but God says, put it out there and I'll bring healing to you. God's still calling people in our world to stretch forth what has been done and what is damaged. Praise God. We need to lift our hands and we need to pray together right now. God, let there be people that come into the house of God, come into contact with us who are hungry for you. Praise God. That may not have what they think is much to offer, but God's not looking for what looks like treasure. He's looking for what looks like a withered hand in weakness. Scripture tells us Amen. As the musicians come tonight, that he did so. Did you know there's a lot right there? <laughs> I feel vulnerable. I, he's called me into the middle of the synagogue on the Sabbath. I feel vulnerable. And he asked me to stretch forth my hand. And this is where people have such a struggle. I don't want to pull that out. I want to ask you tonight, what are the options if you don't? You're just going to live with it? Praise God, you're just going to live with it. You're just going to hide behind it. It's just going to be a source of irritation and frustration for how long when God is calling you to stretch forth your hand out of maybe what you don't want anybody else to know, I can tell you this. Nobody else has to know as long as God knows. Praise God, this man was put on the spot. God's not going to put you on a spot. He's not going to call you up to the front and say, Sis, I want you to expose all of your trauma and your trouble and your difficulties. Nobody's going to send a preacher and a preacher's going to come and say, you got something that's been hidden for so long that is, a, that is a torment and a hurt and an obstacle in your life. Praise God. Did you know why some people can't receive the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is a gift. It should happen, and it should fall on you, and it should happen quickly. A lot of times it's because someone doesn't want to change. This scripture said, and he did so. There's a lot to that. Man, there's a lot to that. And he did so means that I I'm willing. I'm going to do it. And sometimes people have a hard time with that. And he did so. I can't bring myself to do it. But he stretched forth a withered hand. And the scripture says, this excites me because this is what God do, does with people who feel like they're never going to be of good use again. Praise God. I hope you feel the burden that I'm preaching here tonight. I'll never be used like someone sitting across the pew because they were raised in a different family with a different set of circumstances and results. 
Praise God. But when we come together in the house of God, there's one that makes a different determination, not on the way that we think. But he looks at our weaknesses and our difficulties, and he says, I can use that individual. If you're willing, stretch forth your hand. If you're willing to do it. Praise God. Sometimes it's hard work <clears throat> revealing to God all of those struggles and pains and difficulties. But you know what? That's what an altar is for. When I come to an altar, God asks me to stretch forth my withered hand and, and give it to him. I don't have to carry it. I shouldn't be having to carry it. I shouldn't have to be dealing with all of the trauma and turmoil. There's a God that's big enough to bring miraculous healing to me. Praise God. He stretched forth his hand, and the scripture said, and his hand was restored whole as the other. God, God, can, God can set you to a default position that you never thought was even possible. I've never even known what it was, and God set you into a place of his goodness. We stand together in the house of God tonight in his peace and his long-suffering and his mercy. God. It looks like it looks like it's just another miracle, but this is an illustration of what God continues to do and what he calls us to do, which is to look for the man and the woman who has a withered hand that is thinking there's no hope for me and there's no opportunity for me. And yet, in fact, there is. There's a God that's willing to reach out to you and respond to you and bring healing to you. The last part of the story says, and it came to pass in those days that he went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. What was he praying? I know what he was praying. He was praying that the kingdom would come, that there would be more individuals that would be ushered into the kingdom of God that was just like the man that he had just healed. It wasn't about just the confrontation with the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was something that was bigger. It was something that was greater. The kingdom of God was coming, and he was praying, and he was praying, and he prayed all night so that he would be up to the task of what Calvary and the cross could accomplish in the life of someone. You know how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is? It washes and cleanses every sin, every stain, every failure, every difficulty. There is power in the blood. You know why he's praying? You know why he's praying all night? Because he's seeking the face of God because he wants other people impacted by the kingdom of God. You know why we're praying? We're praying because we want to see the anointing of God and the power of God itself to somebody that's hurting somebody that feels like they don't measure up all they have to offer is something that is weak and doesn't function but God's looking for something that is greater than that hey amen I think it would be good tonight just for a few moments to do what Jesus did 
which was to pray for the harvest and people in the harvest that come to God with all kinds of difficulties and hurts, brokenhearted. I want you to know that there's a God that can look beyond the facade of who you are, can dig down into the roots of who you are and see who you are and can bring healing to you because he's a healer. Praise God. I want us to pray tonight that God helps us as a church body to be the hands and the feet in this world, to look for individuals that are seeking, that are hungry. Amen. As we lift our hands and lift our voice tonight, let's ask God to direct us and help us from the pages of his word, the scripture. God, help us to follow the same trajectory and pattern to minister in our world. Praise God. I want to say to somebody that thinks there's no way back, there is a way back. Praise God. I want to say to somebody that doesn't feel like they can reveal what they've done and where they've gone, that there's a God that simply asks us to stretch forth our inadequacies and our weaknesses. Come on, somebody lift up your voice. Let's pray together. Lord, we want revival. I pray that you would reach out and touch individuals. Praise God beyond this place, wherever they may be. Hallelujah. I pray that there is a drawing, a stirring to the house of God, Lord. Hallelujah. You're a God that can make a difference because you bring healing. Praise God, blind Bartimaeus stretched forth blind eyes. A woman with an issue of blood spit everything that she had.